Welcome to the Business of Security podcast brought to you by TrustMap for security performance management. Your hosts are Josh Bruning and Chad Beckman. Today they talk with Marcus Bartram, general partner at Telstra Ventures. Now let's get to it. the industry need to start talking about that we're not doing today. Information technology is built on a horrible foundation. If we could sort of redo and start from the beginning, we would be so much better off. If you don't invest in it and keep it running, it will blow up. We also have to be able to go in with solutions, not just problems. We have a long way to go if we're going to win this fight. At the end of the day, educated people are really the best countermeasure against all the threats, the threats, the threats, the threats. Welcome to the Business of Security podcast. Today, Chad and I are joined by a special guest, Marcus Bartram, who is a general partner at Telstra Ventures, a San Francisco-based VC firm that invests in mid-stage tech companies. Marcus, welcome to the show. Thanks, Josh. Great to be here and lovely to see you. Let's kick off with a general question directed towards investors. You're an investor, and so... We really want to keep this show limited to investing in cybersecurity tech companies. Maybe we'll expand into tech companies at large. Just kind of really pick your brain at the investor's point of view of of the market and of, of startups. What technological innovations in cybersecurity are investors interested in today? And what should potential startups focus on? It's a it's a great question, and the the way I sort of think about this is, you know, cybersecurity it kind of follows the trends in IT, and as IT architectures evolve and change, then so so does the threat landscape, and so you have innovation at the points where kind of two things are happening: the IT architecture has changed, and so people are figuring out how or criminals are figuring out break into companies and steal data and cause problems. And so innovation kind of occurs on the back of how do I solve a problem that didn't exist yesterday that now exists today. And then you have this, these other sort of things that happen and, you know, software supply chain is a really interesting sector at the moment. There's, there's a, there's a bunch of companies who are innovating in that where, you know, open source development has been a feature of how software companies and applications are built and have been built for the last sort of decade. But criminals have figured out how to, you know, attack a corporation or a company through their software supply chain. And so the innovations that are occurring is kind of how do I identify all the dependencies I have in my open source software program and what sort of attribution do I bring to each of those dependencies? And you know, what does that tell me about the threat that I face through that development? And then what do I do about that? So that's sort of one example of how the IT world has shifted over time and then how that sort of creates a cybersecurity challenge and an opportunity for innovation and a challenge for a CISO to protect, protect the company. And you can multiply that over many different evolutions of IT technology over time. Uh, the other thing that sort of happens is you, you have folks who figure out how to exploit very old technologies and kind of OT is an example of that. And that's sort of, that's not new, 
but it's also another uh, avenue for exploitation, which then drives innovation and companies being created to figure out how to protect organizations through another sort of attack surface. So does that answer your question? It does. And that really opens up op- opens us up to a whole other host of questions. And that's a really good opener opener to the show. So Chad, I want to give you an opportunity to chime in here based on what Marcus just said. We've kind of got a lay of the land and an idea of where investors are headed and what they're thinking. And uh, what other points of interest would you have? Yeah, I want to kind of get into what Marcus said about the uh, software supply chain, particularly. I just hosted a panel with a few CISOs where this topic of third-party risk, supplier risk management was yep. was a, a very frustrating topic, if I'm, if I'm honest with them, because they feel like, you know, we can do assessments, we can do third, you know, uh, third-party scanning, uh, if you will, uh, externally of these vendors. But it, to, to the CISOs, it feels like they're just still checking compliance boxes and not necessarily moving the needle, helping yeah. to create continuous improvement with their suppliers. Now that's a, that's one view of it, right? So another view is where one of the CISOs on the panel said, my suppliers are actually getting a lot of free consulting because my team is working (laughs) to to educate them and help them work through some of these challenges. So I'm I'm curious, you know, because this is, this is a a problem that's not going to go away. I mean, it's, it's just, we have to always continue to innovate and when we're dealing with people, we have to think of ways to motivate and to always have checks yep. and balances and make sure things are actually getting done and, and improving. So from, from that lens, Marcus, I'm curious to hear, you know, maybe some ideas or, or maybe even uh, if you've seen any products that are starting to look at changing the game a little bit around accountability and, and really process improvement uh, with the supply chain? Yeah, it's a great question. And I understand the frustration. And full disclosure, we're an investor in a third-party risk assessment company called CyberGRX, who's built a marketplace around solving this problem. And But if you think about what's been going on for years, partner assessment, if you like, or third-party supply assessment, was kind of the job of email and spreadsheets and a team of dedicated people who would just like hammer away at their company suppliers to get things done. And so the evolution of that has been then to create tools and companies that have created tools to try and form a more informed view of risk of those third-party suppliers. And we saw the rise of, you know, security scorecard and BitSide and yeah, cyber GRX to to some extent, but you know the the trick of it is you can give someone a score, but you haven't really engaged the supplier in a conversation around how do you actually address the issue that I've now discovered. And there's very blunt force methods. Procure, procurement teams can not contract with a supplier unless they fix ABC, but I haven't really seen an organization effectively execute that except in really egregious circumstances. I think CyberGRX has an interesting take and forgive the plug, but in creating the marketplace, they create a collaboration tool and they're able to monitor and engage the supplier base in a, a conversation with the security team 
who can then see how these supplies are improving their posture over time. So there's a little bit of a feedback loop associated with that, which is sort of what people are looking for. The other, the other sort of innovation I've seen, which I've heard about, was enterprises, and this is very sort of large enterprises with sophisticated teams, are actually scanning the scanning the web on behalf of their suppliers to try and identify when they are going to be attacked, rather than when I am going to be attacked, and then alerting the supplier to that problem. So they're being, I, I, it's like it's a really interesting idea. I think it's, I don't think it's scalable to everybody, but it sort of shows this to some level the extent of the issue that you know large corporations are facing. I mean, there's a the other blunt force kind of trauma approach to it is to to kind of regulate this, and maybe that's where it ends up. But I don't know that that necessarily drives security. So, but it's how do you I mean, for my two cents, I think it's how do you engage the supplier in the conversation and how do you actually get them to shift and how do you monitor it? I think yeah. the other thing that's happening is that prediction, the predictive tools around here are getting getting better, where if you think about the supply base for a large enterprise can be literally tens of thousands of suppliers. And so how do you scan and look at that entire supply base and inform, make an informed sort of risk-based decision on where do you spend your calories in terms of where do you fix your problems? And you know, for a long time, that's been quite a hard problem to solve as well. But you know, CyberGRX and others are starting to do a very pre a predictive scan of their supplier bases to identify risk, so that the the security teams can focus on it and be a bit more targeted. From a uh, investor view, you know, a lot of us uh, don't always have the luxury of looking at the market. Uh, as broad as an investor does, because you guys are pitched all the time on new products, and maybe uh, you see products to salute to problems that you may not even see as a problem yet, right? So I'm kind of curious, uh, how does a team, an investment team, go through the process of stack ranking and assessing, you know, is this a viable business or is this an add-on to an existing solution in the market? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, what that potential growth trajectory could be. How do you, how do you take us into the mind of the investor and how some of that analysis might be done? Into the mind of the madness. Yeah. <laughs> There's trouble. Look, it's, it's really done on a handful of dimensions, but in the end, what we're looking for is companies who understand the customer problem and can articulate the customer problem and how that adds kind of value to the customer and what's important to them is like there's literally thousands of companies that are created every year to solve problems and there's also very old security tools that have deployed sort of broadly in the market, they kind of need a redo because the IT landscape has moved so much. But you think the way we think about it is what's the problem the company is solving? Can they articulate it? And can we go and talk to customers and tell them that's what we think the problem is and how does that resonate with them? And then the other side of it then is the team. Uh, we we spend a lot of time. We invest a kind of Series A, Series B, so, and what we what we're looking for is companies 
that have kind of built the product that is, is solving this problem. And they usually have sort of, you know, one to 10 customers and they're figuring out how to kind of grow the business. It's a really interesting problem to solve because you know, a lot of those companies have existing market relationships. And they have venture capitalists who have a bunch of relationships in the market. And is it really, are they really solving a problem or are they sort of working the Rolodex of the people who are around them who are sort of friends of the family? And that's where we spend, and I spend most of my time is trying to understand that. And then the, then it's a function of, okay, if they're solving a real problem, how many companies can have this problem? And it's sort of a sort of simplistic multiplication issue. The other, the other sort of thing I spend a little bit of time on in the early days, especially, is how do they think about price? And, you know, cu customers, you, you, you know, you're competitive for a CISO's budget. And so in pricing your product, what does that signal to the customer and what does that mean relative to their budget and what, how do they allocate budget to solve this problem? And so it's sort of a, is this a, is this a vitamin or a pill? It does the CISO value this because it's really solving a problem for them or do they sort of value it as a nice to have downstream? And yeah, that's hard to parse out, but at the end you have to kind of trust your judgment, trust the, the, the data points you collect and, yeah, we're we're in the business of being optimists and in the business of investing money and then helping these companies grow. Maybe it would come down to regulation where third parties are going to, you know, either govern themselves or the government might have to step in and say, yeah. you know, step it up. So that's a problem in itself. Yep. Right. Just trying to figure out how do we do that? And do you see a world in which third parties govern themselves in terms of the competitive advantage that solving a lot of these other smaller regulatory issues, let's say, for example, the company is going to preempt, uh, you know, a, CM, a CMMC type thing. Yeah. If you, you have your CMMC certification or your SOC 2 in place, it's going to set you apart from other companies. And so that yeah. gives you a competitive advantage. So you're going to have a set of these third-party vendors that are already kind of teed up and are ready to do business with the with these other companies that are going to use their solution, for example. You know. Yeah. So in terms of regulation, do you see a world in which the government would have to regulate that? Or do you think there's enough pressure within the market itself to force third parties to solve a lot of these a lot of these issues around risk? It's a good question. I think if the government is regulating this or continues to regulate this, then you know that you hope that just doesn't come become another compliance response. Because I think that's the wrong the wrong answer. I think what we believe and I think what we start to see is it's such a problem for large enterprise customers to have an exposure through these third parties. They're going to end up putting pressure on them to fix these problems so they're not going to do business with them. And that will take time to evolve, but I think that's where it ultimately ends up. And so the question I think is if can the enterprise get more insight into the reality of the risk that the third party presents beyond an outside in scan? And so can you get you know, data off the endpoint? Can you get inter in, like, internal data that gives you more 
clarity on the risk that it presents. And that kind of creates its own set of challenges as it relates to privacy and sometimes data sovereignty and a bunch of other things. I think the the economic pressure is going to have more impact than regulatory pressure until and, until a rule is written and then it's going to kind of create another kind of industry moment that drives drives that behavior. But as a lot of my security friends say, compliance is not security. Compliance is a box ticking exercise. And yeah, the closer those two things get together, the better. But I think the uh, economic driver and maybe the competitive driver is enough to make the shift. And the flip side of it is if you if they don't do it and there is a problem, you know, there's a lot of damage to not only the enterprise, but to that supplier that results from, you know, a breach and a you know, a problem, a problem that comes up. But you kind of don't want to, you want to get ahead of that. That's when it's all gone to custard. Go ahead, Chad. Do you have a... I was just going to, I was just going to comment on that and and say, I do believe the same is that the, I think the economic drivers outweigh, you know, anything that could be pressured from a regulatory standpoint. And compliance is just a, a byproduct of good security, really. That's 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 yeah. that's how we should be looking at it, you know, as a industry. So, yeah, there's an interesting group of companies that are bubbling up that are now sort of delivering sort of compliance in a much more automated, data-driven way as well, mm-hmm. which I think is another view into the problem. So, how do I take data off my, you know, code scanners and network scanners and other tools to build a kind of a compliance report and You've seen companies that have done this around SOC 2 and automated some of that process. There's other folks who are mapping that against more complex environments, against other standards. So you're sort of seeing the other side of that coin where more the reality of the security posture that a company has is driving their level of compliance to those standards, which, you know, that's a good thing as well. And it's then how do you marry those two worlds together? That's the next uh, interesting opportunity that gets created there. It is very much so. So there's, you know, this is a big thing that we believe in here is it's one thing to know what the problems are. It's another to actually do something about it. Yes. In life and in security. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, that's a, a big part of our mission is to really help quantify remediation and quantify investments into a security program that actually produce positive results that are measurable results at the end. And uh, it's really just kind of, you know, life cycle management of your security posture uh, on it at the end of the day. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah, I think that's a, and you sort of saw the the comment that CISA put out around uh, continuously testing your security controls in your framework. Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of goes to that point exactly, which is how do you, yeah, I mean, one of the challenges in security is stuff changes inside your organization and you have operational drift and sort of new, new, new things get created and moved. But unless you're continually sort of assessing your controls and your people and your processes and have some insight into that, how do you get on top of that? It's just, it's completely re- reactionary. And so I, I agree. I think there's you know, a, a big cornerstone part of the security industry that exists in like industrial con- control systems that exist in other environments. 
well, you have this feedback loop. You have a set of controls. You assess your performance against those controls. Insight comes back, and then you adjust the controls to, to match the changing environment. And that's like, like I'm an investor. I'm not a CISO. So it's a very 50,000-foot view of the world, but it seems like the way the world needs to move to to actually kind of solve this on a continuous basis. Mm-hmm. Other other parts of the business have this figured out as well. Let's take something really simple like marketing. Marketing knows that if one message doesn't resonate, they need to go back and change the messaging yeah. until people start engaging. Same exact philosophy really exists with security. If yeah. this control or this approach to a control doesn't work, we need to go back, redesign and redeploy monitor yeah. and and look for the right outcome right yeah. it's kind of like a constant lab experiment <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to think about it like the, the real challenge of it is is that still a lot of humans involved in that process on the remediation side of that and so yeah. it becomes as you identify things where do you put the resource against the highest crit- critical moments mm-hmm. but you know it it's sort of a muscle that you know, some organizations are building and I think a lot of people recognize, but they just have to keep investing in it because I just, I don't see another, another path through it except through that. Yeah. So the question becomes, how do we do this at scale? How do we, you can, you can redesign a system to create a positive feedback loop yeah. uh, and you can, that's very easy to do in, in a small company. Yeah. Like you said, you know, but how do you take the people out of it? How do you automate it? And then, mm-hmm expand how do we do that at scale so how do we do that at scale <laughs> you're asking an investor not an engineer dude but that's okay that's <laughs> a great question i mean at the end of the day it, it has to be the level of automation has to increase and the way that automation is deployed i think needs to evolve because it's been sort of playbook written and play each organization creates a bunch of playbooks and and that becomes its own sort of cottage industry in these companies to kind of keep those things up to date so it's it's a really interesting problem and to be open it's one we're actively looking at you know, early stage companies in because it's not the the problem is not around the response to a uh, an issue the problem is more sitting in front of an issue sitting in front of a, a hack or a, a problem and doing this as it relates to operational controls. And, and to be really open, I don't think you get to 100% automa- automation ever because this you're dealing with production systems, you're dealing with, you need to make decisions around when you do some of the changes that need to occur, but there needs to be a level of automation to support that, to, to really improve the efficiency and efficacy of that maybe i'm revealing my sort of operational history as well but at some point there needs to be a balance between what is allowed to occur in production and what is allowed not to occur in production and if the issue is critical enough maybe there's kind of rules of the road that need to be written that allow the cyber team to affect a change if the risk is high enough in a production environment and maybe that's a that's a path that needs to needs to be trodden. Well said. Yeah, well said. <laughs> Continuous it's, improvement. Uh, it's a balance, and uh, to do it at scale is going to take a whole lot of engineering and 
Uh, yeah, some big decisions, some bold yeah. decisions as well. But, you know, how else do you get there? All right. Well, Marcus, we are at the end of our time. We really value this uh, this conversation, the insights that you bring to the conversation. And uh, Chad, always good to see you. And thanks to our listeners. Marcus, if people want to get a hold of you or just to see what you're doing, you know, these days, how can they find you? Where do you live on the internet? Where do I live on the internet? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little bit of an internet hermit, to be honest. Happy to chat to anyone anytime. So Marcus at TelstraVentures.com. Just email me. All right. There you have it. Marcus Bartram. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Business of Security podcast brought to you by TrustMap. We want to hear from our listeners. If you have a topic you'd like to discuss on the podcast or would like to continue the conversation, please connect with us on Twitter at CyberSecPodcast or email us at businessofsecurity at trustsds.com. We want to thank Marcus Bartram for being our guest today. Our hosts were Josh Bruning and Chad Beckman. You can connect with both Josh and Chad on LinkedIn and learn more about TrustMap at trustmap.com. Our show is produced by Dan Rollins with Livewire Films. You can find Dan on LinkedIn and learn more about Livewire at livewirefilms.com. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Business of Security podcast. And that's a wrap.